a lot of times when people are reading a difficult topic, whether it's science or language, they, they feel intimidated. They feel dumb because they don't know the jargon. You want people to feel comfortable and that's when they can learn and accept and integrate new information. I think that that's a really interesting concept that that soft skill of being able to um, access critical feedback in a really good way is so critical to being a really strong technical writer. And I honestly, I'd never really thought about that until you said that just now, but I'm thinking about the, the writers on our team, um, but also all the writers that I interact with, you know, through the course of you know, our business. And you're totally right. The good ones are the ones that know how to accept feedback. Um, how do you how do you think about getting better at that? Like, I mean, it's it's a soft skill, but like, is there a, is there maybe a, a strategy at being better there? Mm, I mean, I think it's more of a mindset. Um, you know, when you're asking people for feedback, I guess if you're forced to ask for feedback, it might you might not welcome it as much. But when you're asking for it proactively, then you should be really open to getting it. <laughs> you know, I just always look at the feedback I get and think you know, this has made the piece better. Like, look at how, look, I guess, look at how the feedback you're getting is making you look better. Like editors make me look better. <laughs> they, whether it's catching typos or rephrasing something in a way that's more clear. I think it, I don't know if there's a strategy, but it's just viewing it as something that, that helps everyone and makes you shine too. Yeah, I think, but I think even that kind of thing is, is fundamental. It's really, it's, it's something that we can't underestimate. I think the concept of like the collaborative aspect of writing is, um, is in some ways it's like, it's a little bit, um, it, it, it's almost something that you wouldn't expect with, with writing because in a lot of ways writing is so personal for a lot of people. Um, and one of the things I've noticed is I've, I've gotten to know a lot of technical writers is like, there's kind of like the science people that like came from like engineering and like can write. And then there's the writers who came from like writing and like now they're technical writers. And like writers, like, and understandably so, it's very personal. Um, so I think the idea that, you know, you're producing something and it, it's a collaborative process is, is worth remembering. You know, I think that that soft skill is there. It's important. And you don't have to, well, I guess it depends on your work situation, but you don't have to accept every change either. Like True. you can push back sometimes. <laughs> so what do you think, you know, from the, your origins as a technical writer, like, what do you think you you really carried through into Grammar Girl? And like, what parts of that do you think really influenced like the work that you've done there? Mm -hmm. I think that the thing I've been good at through all my writing is taking concepts that are hard to understand or boring to understand and making them more interesting. Like that was the feedback I frequently got as a science writer is that you take this difficult stuff and make it easy to understand. And that's the same thing that I carried over into, into my writing about language, into Grammar Girl. Because it can, you know, I, I'm very careful not to use big grammatical terms or even small grammatical terms like adverb or adjective if they aren't necessary. Um, I will try to keep it as simple as possible and not use words that could make people feel intimidated. I think that a lot of times when people are reading a difficult topic, whether it's science or language, they, they feel intimidated. They feel dumb because they don't know the jargon. And 
I, I avoid that whenever I can. You want to just make it, you want people to feel comfortable and that's when they can learn and accept and integrate new information. So, so yeah, making it accessible, as accessible as you can is something I really took over from science and technology writing into Grammar Girl. You know, it, as you're talking about this, one of the things that strikes me as being super interesting here is that the brilliance of Grammar Girl is that you're kind of documenting grammar, right? Like you're a technical <laughs> writer for language. Yeah, I, I thought of a really good example that might help people understand. So in my first book, um, whether you use was or were in a sentence, like if I were a rich man, if I was a rich man, like from Fiddler on the Roof, that's called the subjunctive. And most people who write about language will talk about it as the subjunctive. And I insisted that in the index of the book that it was listed under was versus were in addition to under subjunctive, because I don't, anyone who doesn't, if you don't already know, you're never going to search for the word subjunctive. And, and that's the kind of thing that I think I was especially aware of having come from the technical writing background. Yeah, that is totally technical writing. Like that is absolutely what it is. It's crazy to think that like you probably, it probably is true that like Grammar Girl had to start as a technical writer. Like that's the, <laughs> that's the foundation. That's so cool. Well, it's interesting too, because it's harder for me now that I'm so engrossed and deep in the language world. Like it's harder for me to recognize that subjunctive wouldn't be a word that everyone would know. You know, when I came into it, I wasn't an expert. Um, and so I was more aware of what people didn't know. So I have to remind myself of that now, or my editor reminds me of that now. <laughs> and that's an interesting point too, just taken from the technical writer's perspective is that I think we often forget that part of the importance and brilliance of technical writers is that they don't know everything that the engineers and the scientists know, and they force the scientists to explain it to them so they can explain it to other people. And like, through your progression, you've kind of moved a little bit over that line in terms of language. And now you have to have somebody else help you with that, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. That's what I do. I explain hard things. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, thinking a little bit about the, the progression that you've been a part of, which is, you know, the development of the web and like all of these media forms around it um, and, you know, how language has, has transformed over that time. You know, I think that you're in a really interesting place to comment on how has this total reshape of the media landscape impacted language? And like, you know, how do you kind of feel about that as, as a, a positive or negative or a just is? Well, language has always been changing. And I think it, it's changing in interesting ways today. Um, you know, for me, technology has made researching language so much more interesting and, and easy. You know, I, could, I have print editions of the Chicago Manual of Style on my bookcase, but now I subscribe to the digital version and I can go in and search for the thing I want and find it much faster than I could before. It would take me maybe, you know, five or 10 minutes to find what I was looking for before flipping through the Chicago Manual of Style. And now I can find it instantly. Um, so many research, you know, I can go to the Oxford English Dictionary online and I can search and find all the words that are of Celtic origin. 
I mean, it's like you could never do that with a physical dictionary. It's it's just brilliant to be able to do that. You can go to you know, the Google Ngram and search, you know, for phrases and how often they appear in books and how that's changed over the years. How, you know, the um, the word Schadenfreude, you know, spiked in use in 1980 and has been rising ever since. Like the tools that are available for dealing with language are just so much more advanced now. I, I absolutely love it. I think technology has just done wonders for um, our ability to interrogate language. So that, that's my favorite thing about technology and language. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's, it's crazy to think about like pre-Google. and But I mean, the thing is, a lot of it really is actually a lot newer than Google, right? Because you know we think of Google as being this like binary moment, like there was before Google and after Google. But a lot of the stuff you described is, is actually much more recent than that, like all of those like analytical tools. And that's really cool. Right. Um, so, you know, I think like I suspect almost everybody who's listening to this, um, I have used Grammar Girl um, and Quick and Dirty Tips, I mean, throughout many situations. Um, and it's just always been so helpful and so wonderful. Um, you know, I think one of the things that I would love to know, and I suspect anybody listening to this would love to know is, you know, like what... What advice would you give to people who really just want to write effective and engaging content, um, but still want it to be, you know, as we've, we've discussed, just really easy to consume and um, good for people from a, you know, a, um, an understanding perspective? I think formatting is actually really important on the web. Um, you know, having good subheadings that break up the text, um, bulleted lists whenever you can. I think that just a well-formatted page on the web makes it, it won't print too, makes it a lot easier to consume information. So if you put thought into that for your readers, that that will help them. And then the other thing that, that I try to do is bring in fun where I can. Um, you know, it's, it's still a dry, top, dry topic, grammar and writing, but I try to bring fun in with the example sentences when I can, um, with interesting asides um, when possible. You know, for example, uh, one of my favorite stories, I was researching the origin of the word harbinger. And that's, it comes from, you know, harbinger is something that sort of forebodes uh, something is going to happen. And it, it comes from the idea of the knight harbinger who used to go ahead of the king and prepare towns for the arrival of the king. And so that's a really cool story. And then in the process of Learning about that, I discovered that there was a keeper of the swans in the royal court back in the time when they had the night harbingers. They also had the keeper of the swans. And so I tell that story as a little aside and because it, it, I think it just brings so much fun into the story. So, I mean, I know when you're doing technical writing, there are varying degrees of when you can bring fun into the process. But I think whenever you can and it's appropriate, you should. It, you know, I, I've seen like a really easy example of that is a lot of companies have gone to like kind of, I don't know, fun up their uh, their release notes a little bit um, and, you know, get the information in there, but also like just make them a little bit more pleasant to read, a little less dry. So I think there are places you can bring that stuff in. And frankly, like people read things that they enjoy reading. <laughs> like, <laughs> there's just no way around that. So I don't think there's any, there's really any under, underestimating that. So, um, yeah, so, I mean, this has been a ton of fun and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of sad that we have to you know, get going here soon, but 
Uh, before we do, you know, what can we expect from you coming down the line? You know, what's what's uh, what's in the future of Grammar Girl? Uh, well, you know, I just, I, as you may have gathered, I like to take advantage of opportunities when they arise. And so sure. um, we have an intern who is fluent in Chinese right now. So I've just started creating uh, TikTok videos to help um, people who primarily speak Chinese learn English. So I'm putting up TikTok videos with quick and dirty tips. We're getting back to the real origins. These are, you know, 20, 30 seconds long, um, really basic stuff. Like why does the word okay have two spellings? And I'm able to put Chinese subtitles on them because of our intern. So, um, you know, it's still interesting to people who speak English that the videos are in English, but, um, but I'm able to add Chinese subtitles and I've always wanted to do more for English language learners. So that's, that's my new project. That's what I'm experimenting with right now. And so I think I'm the real grammar girl on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Okay. So uh, that actually answers part of my last question, which is, um, I think every most people know where to find you, but for those who can't or don't and haven't found you yet, uh, other than the real Grammar Girl at, on TikTok, where else would people find you online? Well, I, I have better usernames. I'm Grammar Girl on Twitter and Facebook, and uh, those those, and um, I'm also on LinkedIn. So those are the primary places I, I usually hang out online. And then, of course, you can always find me at QuickAndDirtyTips.com, which is our website. Awesome, very cool. Um, well, Mignon, it was really, really great having you. This was a ton of fun, um, and um, yeah, I hope to. Uh, nerd out about some more English language and maybe Chinese in the future um, and talk to you soon. <laughs> Thank you. And actually, I would be completely remiss if I didn't mention the podcast, the Grammar Girl podcast, over 800 episodes going for more than 15 years. So I, I, I should not forget to mention that. I should not. Yeah. So also check out the Grammar Girl podcast. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure we can link to all that stuff somewhere. Um, so the, we'll, we'll find a way to get those up on I don't know. Do we have show notes? Is that how that works? <laughs> I should know that. So, all right. Thanks. Well, it was great talking to you. And um, I think we can uh, say goodbye. Okay. Thank you, Patrick.